All right, kids, come on up. Take a seat on the front row. We have a lot of kids today, so if there's not room on the front row, feel free to sit on the floor. That would be okay. Whichever works for you. I love that we have a lot of kids. I love, 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 love that we have a lot of kids. I want to read to you a very short Bible verse. It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 7. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 7. Here it is, Shane. I need you to turn around or go sit with your mom, whichever you choose. If the sun's too bright, move, out of the, move into the shadow here. Move forward a little bit. There you go. Perfect. All right. Here's the verse. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? What is faith? Do you know what faith is? What is faith, Eleanor? When you believe in something. Yeah, what, what were you going to say? That's okay. What were you going to say? Okay. So faith is believing in something. So if, if somebody tells you something and you believe them, that's having faith in them, right? That they're not lying to you, that they're telling you the truth. So you say, I believe you, I trust you, I believe that you're not lying to me. So when the Bible says that we walk by faith, that means we live out our life by faith. Every single day of our life, we live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in the things that God says to us. How can we know that God will never lie to us? How can we know we can trust him? Because we know who God is. We know he loves us. We know he cares about us. We know that he would never do anything to hurt us. And you know, I want to show you an example uh, of, of something to help you understand faith. What is this? Now, I'm going to ask you guys to hold this and then pass it on to the next person. You can shake it, but do not open it, okay? It's very, very special to me. Go ahead and touch hold the box for just a second. Shake it if you want, and then pass it on to the next person. We don't, we'll find out. I might show it. But see, faith is believing in something even if you can't see it. Did you hear anything? You heard something? You didn't? You can't hear anything? Now, you've all touched it. You've all seen it. You've all listened to it. You didn't smell it, thankfully. But do you believe there's something in here? But you couldn't, you can't see it. So how do you know there's something in here? You just believe. Do you think I would lie to you? Well, I will tell you that this box was given to me by somebody who loves me. And they wanted to give me a gift. And they said that, I, that they think that I would really like this gift. So I believed them. But until I actually opened it up, I didn't know what was inside. I just had to trust that they were saying that they were giving me something really cool. Well, you want to see what I found when I opened up the box? What do you think it could be? Paper? An ornament. That's a good idea. Maybe because of the shape of the box, you think? Okay. A mini blanket. Okay. Well, see, one more thing I want you to know. When Jesus was with his disciples before he went up to heaven, Jesus said, I'm about to leave you. And when I go, I'm going to go be where my father is. And I'm going to prepare a place for you to come and live with us. And I promise you, I will come back and get you. But while I'm gone, just believe, just trust that I'm preparing a place for you. It's like Miss Kylie said earlier. She said she, she's so thankful that this earth isn't all there is, but that there is something after this. That's the promise we have from God. God will never break a promise. And just like my friend said to me, I think you'll really like this. God said, I think you're going to really like this place that I'm preparing for you. And when you get to see it, you're going to think it's great. So you want to know what's in here? 
Are you excited about it? I, I, when I opened it up, I was like, oh my word, this is so cool. I want to share with you what it is. Okay. See what it is? Just paper. But underneath that paper, five $100 bills. They're very real, and no, you can't touch them. $500. Now, I didn't know that they were what was in the box. I just had to trust that my friend said that I would really like what was in the box. And my friend was not lying. I love this gift. This is so cool. But until I opened up the box, how old is it? I've only had the box a short while. I just got the money recently. But the thing that's so cool, this is what taught me about faith. I was told that I would like what was inside the box. I was told by my friend who I trust. I was told this, and I know that in the past my friend has given me gifts, so based on the fact that he's given me gifts in the past and he told me that I would really like this, I thought this would be pretty cool. And it turned out to be really cool. And that's what faith is. When God says something to you, you can believe him, you can trust him, and you can know when the time comes and it's time for you to open up the gift, you'll go, Wow! God did a cool thing! That's what faith is. And I have $500, and you can't have it. It's mine. All right. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to send you back to your class, okay? Jesus, talking about faith is hard because we can't see. But help these kids to understand what faith really is. Bless them now as they go back to their class, Father. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back with Miss, Miss, uh, Miss uh, what's her name? Miss Jamie. My brain went crazy for a second. Um, I am blessed this day in that my dear friend, Pastor Paul Hartley, who is the district superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene in the state of Alaska, is going to preach for me. So uh, come forward, Pastor Paul. And uh, Good morning. Good morning. Can I use one of these? So if that was your stuff and I moved it around, sorry. I'm going to come down here. I feel like I'm trapped back there. I don't want to be trapped. Is that okay? Before we uh, go to a sermon, though, there's some oil here. And what would you do with the oil, Pastor Bob? Would you, Bob and Renee, come up here and stand in front of me? We're going to pray over your pastor. Hopefully you guys do that frequently, but... Uh, um, so come and stand here, and if you guys would just stand, and some of you come up here who feel led, and we're going to lay hands on them. So come and face me, so they can come up behind you and lay hands on you. <clears throat> Bob's been dealing with some some health issues, and his heart is okay. Has some swirly stuff in there, but uh, um, but he's having some lung challenges too, and breathing. So we just want to anoint him, and I would encourage you guys every once in a while to. Have your pastor come up front. Somebody has to take the lead and have him stand here and somebody come around here and get some oil and anoint him. Amen? The Word reminds us that we are to submit, therefore, one to another. And part of the pastors, he prays for you guys and you want to pray for him. But let's uh, God, we anoint you in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Renee, we anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Bob and Renee. We thank you for your call upon their lives and their obedience to that call that has had them over 20 years here at Two Rivers Church of Nazarene. Father, we simply would ask your anointing to continue to rest upon this couple. And Father, even as we lay hands on Pastor Bob, you know the challenge that he's been having breathing lately and with his heart. And God, we just ask your healing in his body in the name of Jesus. We plead your shed blood Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, 
over this pastor from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. We pray healing in his body. He and Renee both, God, that you would just strengthen them and encourage them. We pray that you would continue to use them in a powerful way in this entire community that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys here at Two Rivers again. I uh, try to get here once a year. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think it was, uh, I don't know, about a year ago I was here. Seems like I was here during the winter last time too. So maybe this is a winter spot because I love it cold. But I brought a heat wave with me. Did you notice? Praise the Lord. I want us to think this morning about uh, the idea that Pastor Bob's been talking about, about faith. And uh, we all have a faith story. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be here. And that story is in development. God is, is working out that faith story in our lives as we allow Him to do that. We're growing in our faith, hopefully, and it's becoming activated. This morning, I want us to talk about faith activated at three levels. There's at least three levels of faith, and they're not necessarily... You go from level one to level two to level three, but there are three levels there that should be actually working in our lives most of the time. Probably one of the most familiar Bible verses on faith is found in Hebrews 11.1 in the King James Version where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith for us as God's kids is essential. It's, it's essential. We have to walk in faith. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through. Exactly. That's how we establish relationship with Jesus. We not only are saved through faith in Ephesians 2.8.9 as it tells us there. We're also sanctified, filled by the Holy Spirit with, by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight as the scripture says up there on the, on the screen. Faith is the very breath that sustains life for us as God's kids. Some great quotes on faith. Corey Tenboom labels faith a fantastic adventure in trusting Him. Webster defines faith as trust in the honesty and truth of another. Another says faith is a willingness to act on God's Word with total abandonment. I like that. Think about that. Faith is a willingness to act on God's Word with total abandonment. Let that sink in. Virginia Whitman suggests, faith is the bucket of power lowered by the rope of prayer into the well of God's abundance. Evangelist Kenyon says, faith will lead you where reason cannot walk. Reason has never been a mountain climber. Amen. God's Word contains some very startling statements about faith. And we, we read one, Pastor Bob read one a little earlier. It's found in Hebrews 11.6 and it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Talking about Christ. So if indeed the, the Word says, which it does, that without faith it's impossible to please God, then it stands to reason that we need to make some radical discoveries about faith if indeed we are to be able to tap in to the potential that the living God has for us and live lives that are acceptable and honoring to Him. Amen? Part of the faith story. So Father, we would simply pause this morning. It's been a, a wonderful service, Lord. We're Thankful for a tremendous time of worship and prayer. As we come to this time of opening Your Word and asking You to continue to speak into our hearts through the by Your Holy Spirit, we would just pause and say, Lord, here we are. Speak to us. Help us to be pliable clay in the Master's hand. May Your Word lodge in our hearts this morning. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear what Your Spirit is saying this morning. God, I pray that Your words would flow from my lips, but 
way beyond that, that your spirit would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible teaches that faith operates, as I mentioned, at least on three levels. We want to talk about little faith, great faith, and complete or perfect faith. Little faith is a faith, the first one we'll look at, is a faith that's typically focused upon ourselves. It's a, it's a primarily faith focused on our need, our individual need. Four occurrences. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, or if you have your phone, or if you have your iPad, whatever you're using, turn to Matthew, and we're going to start in chapter 6. A lot of scripture this morning. We want to see what the Word says. Amen? So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Um, subtitle in the NIV is, Do Not Worry. Anybody got that down yet? Anybody not worry? Yeah, we're working on that one, aren't we? We're, we're in process. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 in the New International Version. Therefore, these are the words of Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount or a part of it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not spin or labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Key words there. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Priorities of life here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Key verse here. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Turn over to Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Um, interesting the things that have been going on ahead of this. You look at uh, verse 14. Um, Jesus came into Peter's house. He saw Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever. He touched her. She is healed. Um, look at what it says in verse 17. To fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Notice in verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed some of their sick. Healed all of their sick. Then verses 18 through 22 talks about the cost of discipleship. We're at verse 23, subtitled, Jesus Calms the Storm. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and they're setting across the sea here. Suddenly a furious storm comes upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. He wasn't worried about the storm, was he? The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? I wonder sometimes when... We're fearful. Sometimes we're fearful of all kinds of different things. I wonder what he thinks. Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They just saw all of those people healed. God was on the move. Tremendous things happening. Let's look at another little faith story. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, the latter part of chapter 14. Remember now, in chapter 14, um, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He has provided for their needs. He's taken care of them. Picking it up in verse 22, um, this is a story about Jesus walking on the water. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, again talking about the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. A lot of great 
themes in this passage. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, typical of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded to the north by huge mountains, and the air would cool and come down on the sea. And it's very typical behavior in the evening for the, the wind to pick up and for waves. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage at his eye. Don't be afraid. They know his voice. That's a good thing. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come down to the water. Come, he said. You know the story. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. That's, that's something, isn't it? That, that's something. But when he saw the wind, that's our challenge in life, isn't it? Keeping our eyes on Christ in the midst of difficult times. It's the, the challenge that Peter found himself in. He was walking on water, but he took his eyes off of Christ and began to look at the challenge. Began to think, wow, I've never done this before. He wasn't doing it. Jesus was. That's our challenge. We've never done this before. It's not us. It's Jesus living in us. Took his eyes off of Christ. Peter got down. He was walking. He looked at the wind. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched. Well, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. That was a good attribute. When we sink, sometimes we're just, you know, we need to realize we need the help of Jesus all the time. Amen? Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So, so highlight in your mind, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Flip over to chapter 16, starting at verse 5. Subtitled, The Yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they went across the lake, again talking about the Sea of Galilee, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves, the disciples, and said, Is it because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, Do you ever notice a lot of stuff goes over the disciples' heads? Just kind of, We're not any, I'm not any different. A lot of stuff goes over my head, too. We're in process. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, Do you have little faith? Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand? I was not talking to you about bread. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We live in a culture today that there is a lot of false teaching. How do we know false teaching? We need to know what the truth is because we are people of the Word. Amen? If we're not in this book consistently and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us, then we put ourselves in dangerous ground. The teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees can bite us. It's not labeled that today, but there's a lot of teachings out there that can bite us if we don't know what the Word is. So some observations real quickly of these four little faith stories. Each of these occurrences are with the disciples. One time specifically Peter. They're, they're the Jews. These are the, are the children of faith, right? They are, are God's kids. Notice that little faith still receives. Kind of gets a little bit of a rebuke there. Oh, you have little faith. But it still receives. Don't worry. The Lord provided. Calmed the waves in the sea. Enabled walking on water. Fed them plus five thousand plus four thousand as they brought him their as they brought him their needs their needs were met amen. Little faith is not a bad thing. Now let me give us a workable definition of faith. Faith is the capacity, and Pastor Bob kind of covered this, but faith is the capacity to believe that which we cannot see and act upon that belief. Faith is the capacity to believe that which we cannot see and to act upon that belief. Little faith, 
The next one is great faith. Great faith, rather than focused on self, is a faith that's focused on the need of another. Two occurrences here in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. I think it's interesting, Matthew chapter 8. So you remember we had a little faith story in Matthew chapter 6, the last part. And then we also had a little faith story in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. This great faith story is in Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5, subtitled The Faith of the Centurion. In both of these great faith things, we'll find the great faith stories sandwiched between little faith stories. There's four little faith stories, two great faith stories here. When you make a sandwich, do you just put two pieces of bread together and then go ahead and eat it? The bread is the idea that gives you something to hold, but the good stuff's in the middle, isn't it? I mean, I, I like to load mine up with all kinds of different stuff sometimes. But that, the middle is the important part. And that's not to say that little faith is unimportant here, but it's interesting that these great faith stories are found sandwiched between little faith stories. Great faith story. Matthew chapter 8 starting at verse 5, subtitled, Faith is a Centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. And I tell this one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Great faith. Interesting. One more faith, great faith story. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Remember, we had a, a little faith story in the last part of chapter 14, and then another little faith story in chapter 16. This great faith story is found in chapter 15, starting at verse 21, subtitled, Faith of a Canaanite Woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Wow. I would kind of call that strike one in a conversation, right? When you go up to somebody and you're talking to them and they don't answer you, how does that make you feel? It's kind of like rejection, right? It's like, are they deaf? I mean, my lips are moving. They should acknowledge my presence here. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. It's not like she went somewhere else. She's still right there. Now the disciples said, send her away. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I would kind of count that as strike two. If I was that lady, it's like strike one, he didn't talk to me. Strike two, he says he's not here for me, pretty much, because she wasn't one of the kids of Israel. But now look at what she does. The woman came and knelt before him. Now she's on her knees. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, so now he does answer her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I'm not thinking that was the answer she was looking for. I would count that as strike three. I'd probably be, I don't know that I would have been there after strike one, to be honest. But she went all the way to strike three and she's still there on her knees. Strike theory didn't even deter her. Because look what she says now. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This lady is persistent. Are we? This wasn't for her need. Are we persistent in the behalf of the needs that God 
reveals to us and around us. Strike one, strike two, strike three, continued persistence. Look at what happens. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What if she had not persisted? Way beyond three strikes. Didn't give up. So let's think about some observation of these two great faith stories. Faith that's focused on the need of another. These occurrences are with Gentiles. The centurion, the Canaanite woman. These are not God's kids. These people do not have a huge cultural faith story as the Israelites did. Remember that great faith is exhibited on behalf of another. The centurion servant who was paralyzed and suffering, the Canaanite woman's daughter who was demon-possessed and suffering terribly, and both are healed immediately. Our working definition of faith. Faith is that capacity to believe that which we cannot see and act upon that belief. You took your box, didn't you? <laughs> he knew I was thinking about that box. <laughs> Faith is that capacity to believe that which we cannot see and act upon that belief. One other area of faith, one other level of faith, and again, these levels are not like level one, level two, level three. You're level one beginner, level, you go to level... It's not, it doesn't work like that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the last level is the complete or perfect faith. But before I get to that, a little, little sidebar on faith. So the issue of whether we're saved by faith or by good works has been an issue down through many, many, many years. Most evangelicals today would understand that we are saved by faith alone. And, and that idea came out of the Protestant Reformation that Martin Luther led. Martin Luther lived from 1483 to 1546 in Germany. He was the guy whom God used to start the Protestant Reformation, which is part of our history as, as evangelicals, as a holiness church. That's kind of, if you trace it all the way back, we came through that. He, he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church on October 31st, 1517. There were three main ideas in that 95 thesis. Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. Those are three very important elements of our faith story. Faith in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Grace. If but for the grace of God, none of us would be here today. It doesn't matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would not be here today. It's called the prevenient grace of God. The grace that goes before. The grace of God that reaches out and helps us to begin to understand how much He loves us. And that He made it possible for us to be redeemed through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. Him taking our sin upon Himself. It's a fact of history. It's not... We, we don't, it's not even the box at that point. Secular historians have wrote about this man, Jesus. It's a, it's a fact of history. What he did, dying on the cross. Scripture explains that. You read the book of John, in 1 John, it talks about Jesus being the Logos. He is the living Word. This, this book is a reflection of who he is. It's it's in a sense, it's, it's his character, it's his instruction, it's, it's an alive book, it's a living book. It shows us his character and his nature. But as we think about this, this whole faith and works idea, um, we're, if we're saved by faith alone, which we are, yet if faith is operating in our lives, it needs to produce good works. So turn to the book of James here real quick, because as we get to complete faith, we'll be in James 2, but James... Book of James, which is right after Hebrews, chapter 2 of James, kind of brings up this idea of faith and deeds, James does. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. It's kind of an idea, pat them on the head, I'll pray for you and send you on your way but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, as you flip it over, is found in what Paul says in, in the book of Ephesians. Verses 8 to 10 is a good example. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves is a gift of God, not by works. We get that, right? We cannot live lives that are righteous enough to gain access to heaven and eternity forever. We just can't do that. You could be the best person that ever lived. We have all fallen from grace. We all have sin in our lives, and we need the redemptive work of Christ on the cross of Calvary to be forgiven. Our works will never get us there. But Paul also goes on to say, not by works, bless you, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Relationship with Jesus brings about change in our lives, and it puts us on the mission of God. And that's where the good works come in. As we walk with Him in an obedient, loving, intimate relationship, He has stuff for us to do. He entrusted the message of good news, the gospel message of His story to us to share that with those around us. To help each other. To grow in our faith by the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. Faith, good works, have to be married together. One goes before the other, but they have to both be there. So let's go a little further and look at this third level real quick. Here in James chapter 2. So we talked about little faith, faith focused on ourselves primarily. Great faith, faith focused on the needs of others. Now we have perfect or complete faith. So pick it up in verse 21 of James chapter 2. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, faith, actions, married together, were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. King James uses the word perfect there. His faith was made perfect by what he did. So that's another level of faith, complete or perfect faith. And the scripture is fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Are any of you old enough to remember Paul Harvey? What was he known for? The rest of the story here is in Genesis chapter 22. Turn there. Genesis chapter 22. This is the rest of that story. Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 1. Subtitle here is Abraham is tested. This is the story of what James was was referring to here. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. That's always a good response when God calls your name. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's a lot in a sentence, isn't it? That's not normal procedure. We don't usually sacrifice people. Amen? Let alone your son, your only son. You think he slept good that night? He was a man of faith. I don't know if he slept good or not. I know if God told me that, I don't think I'd sleep good that night. It would be testing my faith. Amen? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, this is three days of travel. I wonder how he slept those nights. I bet he was having a conversation with God. What do you think? I know I would have been. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. Wait a minute. He's commanded to sacrifice his son, right? We will come back to you. I'm pretty sure that verse is pregnant with faith. Amen? Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire in the night. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. This is not the first time Isaac has seen a sacrifice. He kind of gets what's going on. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? He's thinking about this. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Just a sentence there. How do you think that went? But first, let me ask you, how old do you think Isaac was? When you picture this story in your mind, what do you picture? Do you picture a... How old? How old? Seven or eight, something like that? Twelve, thirteen? You know, some commentators would say that he could have been in his late 20s and early 30s. Yeah, that's a whole different picture. You see, I have one son. His name is Stephen. He's a paramedic firefighter. If God told us to do this, there would have to be complete cooperation in his part for me to bind him up and lay him on the wood. Otherwise, it would be me bound up and laying on the wood. He's, I mean, he's not a huge guy, but he is a lot stronger than I am at this point in his life. <laughs> Anyway, he's bound up, laying on there. Wow. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. You think he was faking it? Look what it goes on to say. Reach out a knife took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. God can see our hearts. God can see the intention of our hearts. God knew he was going to take Isaac's life. He's going to do exactly what God told him to do. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. Wait a minute. Where was that just a few minutes ago? Was that ram there? Isaac would have saw that ram, because he was looking for where the thing was, right? God can speak things into existence that were not. God can calm the waves and the sea and the wind. God can do what we think is completely impossible. Lean not on your own. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. Sometimes we are not willing to trust God because we see how something will not work out logically in our mind. God doesn't operate according to our logical minds. He's God of the universe. Poof, there was that ram. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Wow. Abraham was willing to take a risk in obeying God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Brought personal blessing, brought national blessing, and it's reckoned to him as righteousness, and he has become the friend of God. That's not just complete, perfect faith. That's extreme faith. Now, as we kind of wind this plane up and get it ready to bring an end for a landing, realize the issue here is not if you have faith. God has allotted to every one of us a portion of faith. It's how we use our faith. And it's not really the kind or level of faith you have. All of God's kids should be functioning with an active faith on all three levels and even beyond. 
The challenge is to develop a life where most of our experiences are rather of the extreme, sacrificial, perfect, complete faith kind. The Romans 12.1 living sacrifice kind of faith where we offer ourselves completely to God and we are willing to walk with Him in radical obedience. Even when things don't make sense to us. So as I, I kind of bring the plane in for a landing, let me ask you this question. What would you attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? What would you individually, in our family units, in the corporate body of Christ known as Two Rivers Community Church in Nazarene, what would you attempt for God if you knew you could not fail, knowing to the best of your understanding what His will is as He leads us by His Spirit? What would you attempt for God? Remembering the promise that Pastor Bob also quoted this morning, Living Bible Version says, Now glory be to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or ever dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God can do bigger than we even imagine. People who walk by extreme, sacrificial, perfect, complete faith are willing to take God-ordained risk. Now, in our society today, we are adverse to risk. We don't like risk. We want to be in control. We want to know what's going to happen before we do it. But these kind of people are willing to take God-ordained, underline that, God-ordained risk. Acts 15.26 refers to men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Has your walk with Christ, His ministry through you, ever required you to risk your life? Probably not for those of us here in North America. Around the world, though, that's pretty common today. You realize we have more martyrs for Christ today than ever before in history. People are giving their lives for standing up with Jesus. Yes, we need to walk in courage. We need to move ahead in Christ in spite of our fears. We need to believe God more than our fear. I've heard it said, and maybe you've said it, maybe we've all said it, just be faithful. When we get to heaven, we want to hear that, right? Well done, good, and... We want to hear that. I, that's not a bad thing. But could there be more? Could there be more than simply being faithful? Could it be that in our faithfulness, God is looking to help us be fruitful? Faithfulness should bring fruitfulness. Remember the biblical admission, go and bear fruit? Do you remember what happened to the unfruitful branch? It got cut off, put in a pile, burned up. That's not a good metaphor for us. Amen? I don't, I don't want to be close to fire. Heaven is not that kind of fire. Amen? Heaven's the fire of God that purifies things and makes it holy, but not that kind of fire. Go and bear fruit or you'll be cut off. Remember the parable of the talents? And we won't look this one up. It's Matthew 25. A man goes on a journey and he entrusts his possessions to, to three servants. One gets five talents or five bags of gold. Another one gets two talents, two bags of gold. Another one gets one talent, one bag of gold. Each according to his ability. Remember the man with five bags of gold goes out and he gains five more bags. The guy with two bags goes out and he gains two more bags. The guy with one bag, do you remember what he did? Went in the backyard, dug a hole and buried it because he was afraid of the master. Fear will do that. It binds us up. After a long time, the master comes back. Guy with five bags, well done, good and faithful servant, faithful with few things, put you in charge of many things. Two bad guys, same story. Well done, good and faithful servant, faithful a few things, put you in charge of many things. Then we have the one bag fellow. He's afraid. He hid the gold. He wouldn't take a risk. He bore no fruit. He didn't use his faith. He was unfaithful. Keeping what God gives you safe is not the God life. God expects us to move beyond that. Amen? Complete, perfect, sacrificial, extreme faith is willing to step out as the Lord leads and take God-ordained faith risk. Again, underline, God-ordained faith risk. Holy Spirit-inspired faith risk. It's really not a risk when God tells us to do it. 
Yet in our minds, sometimes we think it's risky, and it holds us, and it binds us up in fear, and we don't do anything. We're afraid of rejection when it comes to witnessing. So sometimes we don't say anything. We're afraid of stepping out of the church and doing things that maybe we see no way to do it, but we're sure God is leading us, but we just aren't willing to do it. Individually, sometimes it holds us and binds us up. We're, we're not willing to all kinds of things. We're not really willing to become a tither because we're not sure we have enough money to be able to do that. We're all, it just covers all this stuff. And it ultimately comes down to fear and a lack of trusting God and stepping out and risking and being obedient. I'm not after your money. Because it's all God's already. Amen? So as I close, they bring the plane into a landing. What does God want to do through you? What does God want to do through me? What does God want to do in your family? Can I tell you just a quick story in closing? And I already went beyond my time, but we're eating together, so it's okay. I have three kids. Becky's our oldest. She's a registered nurse. Her husband is a, is a Nazarene pastor who's been trying to plant a church that didn't work, but stepped out in faith and tried to do that. Our middle daughter's name is Elizabeth, and she has three little boys. Becky has three little girls. And then our son's name is Stephen. He's the paramedic firefighter. Stephen's kind of been back and forth, and, you know, he goes to church some and not going to church some, and you know, he's a firefighter, so sometimes he has to work on Sundays, and we don't just leave the firehouse and go do go to church and come back. It doesn't work like that. But I gave him a, a devotional for Christmas, a, a godly man devotional that's a, a page per day and kind of laid out a devotional for two days at a time. And uh, he, he texts me just after Christmas in the beginning of the new year, and he said, Dad, I'd like to do that devotional next time. Almost every night, we've been calling and reading through that together on the phone and praying with each other. I can't tell you, he's 28 years old, how much that's blessed this dad's life. doesn't matter if I'm in the road. Last night I was in, in Fairbanks and we called and spent half an hour talking through, reading through the devotional and praying together and praying for each other and praying for our family and praying for there's needs around us. And just bless my heart. His faith is growing. Are we stepping out? What does God want to do here? If I... If I hadn't given him that devotional, if I hadn't, you know, sometimes it's just simple things that God can use. Sometimes it's just a step of faith saying, yeah, Lord, whatever you ask me, I'll do that. And God can use that. He, he takes us and he uses us. If we'll submit ourselves to him. What does God want to do through you in the realm of faith? How's he, how's he wanting to grow your faith? And see tremendous fruitfulness blossom out of that. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you this morning for how much you love us beyond what we may ever understand this side of heaven in your redemptive work in us and through us and what you've done, Lord Jesus, on the cross of Calvary the gift of your Holy Spirit to live in us and to walk with us and to grow our faith. Lord, help us to live as little faith people. Help us to live as great faith people. Help us to live as perfect, complete, sacrificial faith people. God, who are willing to take a risk. God, ordained risk as you lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit to do what you asked us to do to change the world in which we live. To change lives. To see transformation in our lives and in those around us. God, help us to be willing to step up and step out and honor and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Pastor Bob.
Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. I was brought up in a faith that taught me from a young age that Jesus was the Son of God. But as Pastor Paul has said, I think we've had so many conversations the last 24 hours, I can't remember if it was private or if it was public. But he said, um, we were talking about our own personal stories and coming to faith beyond just the knowing faith. Not just knowing it, but knowing it. And I, there's, there's this thing about the belief that God loved the world so much that God made it possible for us to have a right relationship with God through the sacrifice of God's own Son. And to think about and put myself into that upper room on that last night when Jesus was gathered with his friends. And when he knew what was coming. But still he walked the path that was before him because it was his father's will. And part of that walking of that path was he held up a piece of bread. And he said to his friends, this is my body which is for you. Take this, all of you, and eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. Later on in that same evening, in that same meal, he held up a cup. Looking out at his friends, he said, this is my blood, my life, which is being poured out for you. Take this, all of you, and drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you read on in the book of John, it says, I'm going to go to my father right now and I'm going to be preparing a place for you and then I will come back and I will get you. And there's that understanding that in the interim, he wants us to do this. As often as you have the opportunity, when you gather together in my name, eat some bread and drink from a cup and remember, I love you. Remember, you are worth it. Remember, there's a faith promise made for you that there is going to come a day when we will all be together again. So in obedience to that request, we are gathering together and eating some bread and drinking from a cup and remembering that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son the world might be saved. Do you know Jesus with more than just your head? Do you know Jesus with your heart? Do you have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Let's pray. Father God, we lift these elements to you, praying for your blessing on them. We understand that it's just simply bread and just simply grape juice, but it is so powerfully much more than that because 
Your presence is here with us. Draw us to you, Lord, as we commune together around your table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on in. Come when you're ready.